It's a tremendous blessing and a privilege for me and my family to be here again with you all in Rockport, and especially to be at this this conference. I'm looking forward to hear. Uh, I mean, all the messages have been glorious so far, but I'm looking forward to hear Brother Clint Leiter preach. Uh, I, I listen to him often when I'm spinning away in the gym at home on on my headphones and um, through his act series and. But every time I go to his church, I'm always preaching, so I never get to hear him. <laughs> so, if we open our Bibles to Romans chapter 5 and verse 9. Romans 5 verse 9. This is a message for believers, but it's also a message for those who are unsure where they are. As Brother Max said last night, you know, are you one of the children of God? Do you long to be? Are you unsure? Do you, do you want to know? So we all stand for the reading of God's word. I'll read our text in Romans 5 verse 9. Then we'll pray. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit would come upon us now like a dove, that we would see you ascending and that you would make the truth of this verse clear to our hearts, to our minds. Make it a practice in our lives. I pray that through this word you would open the eyes of the blind. That you would greatly help believers here. And that you would magnify your son. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. Okay, the part of this text I want us to concentrate primarily on today is when it says, we have now been justified by his blood. Or as other translations render it, having been justified by his blood. Or we have now been declared righteous by his blood. So, this is what I want us to consider now, that we, the Christians, have now been justified or declared righteous by his blood. So then, let us first make sure we all have a, a correct understanding of the terms used here in, in this verse. Because the more I've counseled people and taught with them about their souls, the more I've learned that you cannot take even the most basic things for granted. So let's make sure we all have a clear definition of the terms here and what they mean in practice. So first of all, I want us to consider that word there, justified, or as some translations render it, declared righteous. What is exactly does it mean in this context to be justified or declared righteous. 
And let me point out here that when you see the words, the words in your Bibles, justified or, or righteous, in the original language, it is the same word. I don't know why we have two words for it in English, uh, because it essentially means the, the same thing. But, but anyway, to be justified or to be declared righteous or justification, it's a judicial, it's a legal term. That means it's a term used in a court of law. And so let me give you an example of what we're talking about here. Someone is on trial before a judge, and all of the criminal charges and accusations are brought out against that person. All of the evidence, all of the charges and accusations are put on the table. And then at the end of it all, the judge passes the verdict. And he either pronounces that person on trial, condemned and guilty, or he pronounces them not guilty. In other words, they are justified. He declares that person to be righteous, to be not guilty of those charges. So then, to be justified before God, and being justified before God is what we're talking about here, to be justified before God is to have all the charges and all the accusations that were against you answered. To be justified or declared righteous before God is to be declared right with God at the judgment throne. Now then, the second thing I want to clarify here is notice what it also says in our text regarding this. Verse 9 says, Since therefore we have now been or having been justified or declared righteous by his blood. You see, what I want to draw your attention to now is that the believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ is not someone who is waiting to be justified in the future. The believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ is not someone who is thinking, well, I hope God will accept me at the judgment seat. No, notice what it says. Since therefore we have now been justified. You see, to the believer this is something that has already happened. The believer in this gospel of Jesus Christ has already been declared righteous before God in this time now. In other words, the judge has already passed the verdict. Consider this. All the evidence of your past, present and future sins have been brought out before him. All the accusations and the criminal charges for breaking God's law, all your offenses against God have been brought out into the courtroom of God. Every sin that the believer has ever committed, both in action, in thought, in word, in deed, all your sins in your past, your present, your future have been brought out into the open in the courtroom of God. And so, according to this text, for the true believer of the gospel, God, the judge, has already passed the verdict. And he has pronounced the believer justified before him. He or she is no longer guilty of those charges. 
And this happens, the next thing I want to show you is from the moment someone first believes the gospel. If you look with me at Romans 4, verse 3. You see, after telling us here in verse 2 that we are not justified before God because of any work we do, Paul then says in Romans 4, verse 3, for what does the scripture say? And he's, he is giving the example of Abraham being justified here. Paul is arguing that this is not a new doctrine that I'm teaching. This is how they were saved in the Old Testament also. This is the only way people have ever been saved. It's always been by faith in what God, the promise of what Christ would do apart from works. And so, after making it clear in verse 2 that Abraham, nor anyone, is justified before God because of any works they do, he continues in verse 3, Abraham believed God. Now, when it says Abraham believe God here, it obviously doesn't mean he believed in God as he believed as in he believed God existed. But the context here is that Abraham believed God's way of salvation of faith apart from works. That's what Paul is trying to prove there. That Abraham believed the promise of the Saviour that God would send. But I want to draw your attention now What I want you to draw your attention to is that from the moment he did believe, we are told in this verse, it says, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Remember, the same words in the original language, justified and righteous. You see, what I'm pointing to here is that Abraham was declared righteous before God, not by any works he did, But from the moment Abraham believed the promise of what God would do to save us, and from the moment he did, he was counted as righteous before God. He was justified. So, all the charges against him for all his sins were answered. So then, in a minute I will explain how this is done, but all I want to point out so far is that from the moment someone, and this includes you, from the moment someone stops trusting in their own merits and believes the good news of the promise that Christ alone paid for their sins, God counts them as righteous before him. And so, my point here, what what I'm trying to establish so far is, as it says in our text, that the believer is not waiting to be justified in the future, but he or she has already been declared righteous before God now, from the moment they believe the gospel. Now, this may seem simplistic, but I I want to draw your attention now, brethren, to how often the Apostle Paul keeps on repeating this truth. You see, this is something, something that Paul in this letter, he does not say just once, but he keeps on repeating it again and again. I mean, if you look with me at chapter 5, verse 1, he says thus, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been, we have, past tense, 
The believer is not waiting for this in the future, but God the judge has already passed the verdict and pronounced the believer to be justified before God now. And why does Paul deduce it there in verse 1 of chapter 5? Because he says it's by faith. Since it's not dependent upon any works we do, but since our verdict at the judgment is dependent upon our Lord Jesus Christ answering those charges against us, that were against us, well, it's already done. And also, there in verse 1, since we have been justified by faith, the deduction that Paul makes is that the believer is already at peace with God now. We are no longer in a position of enmity or at war against God, but completely reconciled to him. God is no longer angry at the believer, but we are at peace with him. All the criminal charges against us have been answered, and he has declared the believer from the point of conversion right before him. And Paul repeats the same truth in our text. He, I mean, he does it again in, in chapter 5 at the beginning of verse 8. Uh, sorry, at the beginning of chapter 8. He says there at the beginning of chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation. Not even one bit for the believer. So, let me ask you this. Why does Paul keep on repeating this truth? I mean, it's simple enough. So, why does Paul not say it once and then move on? Why does Paul keep on repeating that the believer is not waiting to be justified, future, but God has already judged us and counts as righteous before him now? We are already at peace with him. There is no condemnation. Why does he feel the need to keep on repeating this? Well, I mean, one likelihood is that Paul loves this truth so much that he can't help repeating it. I mean, I always worry about those people who say something like, right, you know, we, we know the gospel. Can't, can't you teach us something else now? Let's move on. You know, so let's move on to greater things, like what's happening in Israel. But it's as if it means nothing to them. You know, we once had a, a brother over for, for dinner. And I cooked these uh, lamb steaks. I carefully selected the lamb, got the dark, the darker the meat is, the, the better. And I, I co coated it in really good olive oil. And I put Himalayan salt on and pepper and all these herbs and crushed some fresh, fresh garlic. I mean, I, I cooked them uh, a medium rare to perfection. I mean, I, they were just like, wow. Not to blow my own trumpet, of course. <laughs> but, but this is what happened. The, the brother across me at the table, he, I mean, I was thinking, he's going to love this. He got the ketchup and just covered the whole thing. But you see, the point is, he, he despised it. It meant nothing to him. He just, and you see, but this is my point. Many professing Christians treat the gospel of Jesus Christ like that. They can quickly pass over it and move on. It means nothing to them. 
So, that's one reason I expect Paul kept on repeating this truth. Uh, It meant so much to him. But another reason I expect he kept on repeating this is he obviously knew how prone we are to forget this truth. And like Brother Tim said before, some things are, just seem too good to be true. We need constant reminders. And he, he obviously was aware of how prone believers are to fall into confusion about this truth. And as Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, the, the art of good preaching is repetition. He said if a, a preacher does not feel the, the need to repeat himself, he does not know his congregation very well. None of you are thinking, I, I don't need things repeated. And also, beloved, if the inspired word of God here had deemed it necessary to keep on repeating this truth, then surely this is something we need to keep repeating to ourselves and reminding ourselves of. This is something we need to be preaching to ourselves day by day. So then, let us consider some more of what. Exactly, we need to be reminding ourselves of. First of all, if you, if you look with me at the last part of our text in verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, and this next part, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Uh, the wrath of God here meaning God's future wrath at the final judgment. Hell, another word. You see, this is a how much more argument here. The the context of this chapter, Romans chapter 5, is assurance of salvation. Paul is giving arguments here in chapter 5, one after another, of why, since the gospel is by faith apart from works, why the believer's salvation is eternally secure. Paul is arguing why final salvation is guaranteed for all who believe the gospel. And one of Paul's arguments in our text now is that we can be sure, we can be certain that the believer will be safe from the wrath and punishment of God at the final judgment because God has already declared us just now. The charges, we can be sure that we'll be safe at the final judgment because The charges have already been answered, it says in this verse. And they have been answered by, he tells us, by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, this middle part now is what I want to concern ourselves with for the rest of our time. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. That we are justified by his blood is what I want us to consider now that it is his blood that justifies us. So then, the first question I want to make sure that we are clear about is, what is meant exactly by his blood here? You know, sometimes people think of it as a kind of mystical thing. But, you see, the answer is, what is meant is, without the shedding of blood, There is no forgiveness of sins. You see, the shedding of blood 
is a term used in scripture to denote death. A person's life being poured out in death. You see, when the scripture says that we are justified by or through the blood, what it means is the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ is the grounds of our justification. This is what I want to get through to you today. The blood of Jesus Christ being the grounds on which God can forgive us. And so, if you look with me back at the end of chapter 4, verse 23. We see that this grounds here. But the words, it was counted to him, referring to the text we read about Abraham being justified before, were not written for his sake alone. He, he didn't just give us that example to tell us how Abraham got justified, but we too. But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. And notice this in verse 25. Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So, the shedding of Christ's blood is Christ being delivered up for our trespasses. Christ dying in our place is what we're talking about. If you look with me also, uh, I mean this is all over, well it's all over everything that Paul ever writes and says, but if you look with me also at Romans 3, back at verse 23 there, for all all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one can be righteous before God by themselves. They cannot do anything to justify themselves before God. Because we've all sinned. But verse 24 continues, And are justified, see that word again, by his grace, a, a person is justified before God by his undeserved favor that, that we cannot merit. There is nothing you or I can do to earn forgiveness, but he justifies people by his grace, by giving us favor we do not deserve. As a gift, he says, again, a gift is not something you can earn. You see, you cannot present an account to God and say, right, I've done this now. After all my church going, after all this and that and the other I've done, after all I've cleaned up my life, you cannot present an account to God and say, right now you owe me. The last thing you want to ask God for is what you are owed because of your works. But if salvation comes to you, then it must come to you as a gift, a free gift. That is the only way you or anyone can receive it. But then, this is why we turned here. I want you to notice now the grounds on which God can forgive people so freely like this. This, this He says, this is the grounds on which God can justify people so freely. The next part of verse 24 then says, through, this is how, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is, in effect, saying the same thing as through his blood. Through his sacrifice on our behalf. 
Uh, a redemption means to buy something. A payment is made. Well, by the shedding of Christ's blood, by his sacrificial death on our behalf, he paid the price for our sins. And look at verse 25 also. Whom God put forward. God the Father so loved the world that he gave his only Son. God delivered him up for our transgressions. As a propitiation, and again we see the same word, by his blood to be received by faith. You see, that word propitiation means a turning away of wrath. God was previously angry with us for our sins. And the wrath of God abided on us. But at the cross, Christ was delivered up for our sins. And by the shedding of his blood, the wrath of God that we deserved was, was poured out on Christ. By, by his blood, the wrath of God was turned away. A propitiation was made. The wrath of God was turned away. He made satisfaction for our sins. So, in other words, God is completely satisfied with what Christ has done in paying for our sins. So then, that is what it means here that we are justified by his blood. All the charges were laid out against us, but Christ took on himself. He answered for our criminal charges and they were accounted to him. And so he was then punished, he was then delivered up in our place. And so this, Christ dying in our place, God in flesh shedding his blood as our substitute, is what answers those charges. This is the grounds on which God can forgive us. So then, we have now been justified by his blood. Because his blood, the shedding of Christ's blood, dying for our sins... It, it is the grounds of our justification. You see, it's like if you have a penalty or, or a debt before a human court of law, the law has something against you. And the law will always have something against you until that debt is fully paid. The judge cannot waiver that debt. But... In order for you to be reconciled and at peace with the court, the debt has to be paid in full. Well, listen closely. This is my point. Paying the debt is the grounds on which you can be forgiven. And it's so important we, we, we properly understand this brethren if we, we, if we consider this in light of some of the other terms used for uh, the Bible uses for our justification for instance like the one we just read there in Romans 3 the Bible also says we are justified by grace but you see the grace of God is not the grounds of our justification the Bible also says we are justified by faith. But faith is not the grounds of our justification. The grounds of our justification, the grounds of why God can forgive us, is because 
of Christ, the shedding of Christ's blood. So then, what do those other terms mean? Well, uh, just to quickly consider, if you look with me just back again at Romans 3.24, it says here, And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The word grace basically means unmerited favour. God showing us favour that we do not deserve. We we never do anything, nor we know we can't. If it's by grace, then what he's showing us by that word is we cannot do anything to merit God saving us. We can't do anything to merit our justification. But you see, by his grace, God planned, and by this, God gives us salvation, he justifies us as a gift. But notice, that is not the grounds of our justification. You see, the grounds of how God justifies us is in the next part of the verse. Because he then says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, through his blood. Christ shedding his blood for our sins, him being delivered up in our place, is the grounds on which God can justify us. And also, if you look with me at Romans 3.28, here we are told we are justified by faith. But you see, faith is not the grounds on which God justifies us. You see, it is not that God sees our faith and he counts it as payment for our sins. God does not count our faith as payment or even part payment for any of our sins. But the blood of Christ is what pays for our sins. You see, faith is the channel in which all this comes to us. Let let me give you some examples to try and help you. You see, those lights across the room, those lights are turned on and giving light. The wires, which we can't actually see, they're in the walls or the wires coming down, the wires carry the electricity to the light bulbs. But you see, the wires themselves do not power the light bulbs. They are just the channel by which the power comes to us, or or comes to the light bulb. You see, our faith is not the grounds of our, our believing is not the grounds of our justification. The shedding of Christ's blood in our place is what is. Our faith is just the channel of how what God has done in Christ comes to us. Let me give you another example. The year is 1959. World War II has ended 14 years ago. I forgot my maths right. (laughs) But somewhere in the jungles in Far East Asia, there is a man who still thinks the war is going on. He's not heard the news, the good news, that the war is over. And so he's still scared for his life, acting like a soldier. Well, one day... The good news comes to him that the war is over. He believes it. The moment he does, his burden is lifted. 
And slowly, he adjusts back into civilian life. Well then, listen closely. Him believing this good news lifted his burden. Him believing this good news that the war is over changed how this man acted. But listen, him believing did not cause the war to cease. His believing or hearing this good news was not the grounds of being at peace. Hitler and then Japan being conquered was the grounds of it. The good news and him believing this good news, the good news was simply the channel by which it came to him. I'll give you another example. Suppose someone has a debt of an amount far, far above which they are able to pay. Let's say it's $500,000. And this debt is an enormous weight on this person's shoulders. It's it's consuming their minds, and he knows very soon it's going to catch up with him. And he has no hope of paying it himself. And even what little bits he can pay is swallowed up by the interest. So this debt is a great burden to this man. Well, Supposing someone else pays that man's debt in full, every last penny of it. At first, the guy does not know this. And so he walks around still thinking he has this great debt, and so it affects his life. He's greatly burdened. But then one day, someone informs this poor man of the good news that his debt has been paid in full. Now, Maybe at first he does not quite believe it. Seems too good to be true. Maybe he spends some time self-righteously hoping to pay his own debt. And whilst he does not believe this good news, he still has this great weight upon his shoulder. But then one day he believes it. That someone else has paid his debt for him in full. The burden is lifted. And it is replaced by a deep sense of gratitude to the one who has paid his debt. Now then, him bearing and believing the good news, sorry, him hearing and believing the good news did not pay his debts. That man hearing and believing the good news, that did not make him right with his debtors. That didn't pay a single penny of it. You see, it was the payment for the debts by someone else on his behalf that settled the accounts. Him hearing and simply believing this good news was just the channel by which it came to him. Listen closely. This is what I'm trying to get through to you here. There is no virtue in mere faith. Uh, the word virtue means a good quality, something of worth. Virtue means it has value in it. Well, here's the thing. Our faith has no value in it. Our faith does not count as part payment for our sins. It is only Christ, the shedding of Christ's blood that pays for our sins, him dying as a substitute. You see, once... You make the mistake of making your faith into a virtue. Once you make the mistake of making your believing 
how much you can believe into a virtue, then we are no longer talking about saving faith. Because, as it says right there in Romans 3.28, for we hold to that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So do not try to make faith into a merit. Don't try to make it into a work. We are not justified by anything meritorious in us. There is no merit in faith. You see, hear me. It's not that Christ has done this great thing for us, but he not, well he has of course, but it's not that he's done this great thing for us, but in order to bring what Christ has done to us, we have to do something meritorious by believing. No, it's not that Christ has done everything and we have to do something meritorious now to make it come to us. As if we somehow merit the merits of Christ. No. The blood of Christ and him alone merits our salvation. Faith, believing this good news of what God has done for us, is simply the channel by which God brings it to us. But there's nothing meritorious in our faith. I mean, it says there in Romans 3.27 that when someone is justified by this way of faith, boasting is excluded. There's no grounds for boasting. So, it's not like a person, after believing in the gospel, can go around thinking, well, I did this great thing by believing that someone else didn't do. You see, the person who thinks like that, thinks his faith is the grounds of his justification rather than the blood. He thinks there's some virtue in something he has done. That person thinks his believing part contributes towards his justification, so he has room to boast in himself. But again, that's not saving faith. You see, the person with saving faith thinks, I'm saved because Christ shed his blood in my place. It's all about what Christ has done. In my place, condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. The person believes he has faith, but he's not looking at his faith as a virtue. But he realizes only virtue before God is what Christ has done. The shedding of Christ's blood is the grounds of our forgiveness. Now, now of course, you know, God does more than that. He not only pays for the believer's sins, but we're also told in this book of Romans that the righteous, obedient life of Jesus Christ is credited the other way to the believer's account. But Paul simply narrows the terms down here To say we are justified by his blood, meaning that it's all of the work of Christ that justifies us before God. Faith, us believing the good news, is just the channel which God brings this to us. Now then, in light of all this, let let me give you some application, some further application. One is that we need to be clear 
when we're sharing the gospel with others. Because when preaching the gospel to others, when someone asks you, how can I be saved? You see, it's no good to say, give an answer like, and I sometimes hear people do this, they say, just trust Christ. Just trust Christ, just believe Jesus. That is not the gospel. That is part of the gospel. In fact, that is a response to the gospel. But by telling them, just trust Christ, you are, in, uh, you are in effect pointing them to look for some virtue in themselves, in, in their trusting. And that, so that person then, I, I, I see this so many times, they're thinking, if, if I could believe a bit more. And it's no wonder they don't find peace when they're looking for some virtue in themselves, how much they can believe. You see, the gospel message, Paul said, is what is the power of God to salvation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the words of Christ, this message. Uh, the word gospel itself means the good news or the good news proclaimed. You see, it's not, it's not enough to just tell people just trust Christ. If you want them to be saved, then you must tell them the good news of what exactly Christ has done for them. I mean, think back to that illustration uh, of the man in the jungle who did not know the war was over. You see, it would be no use going to that man and saying, just trust the Japanese or the US government. That would probably scare the guy to death. <laughs> but he must be told the good news of why and how the war is over. Think back to the illustration of the man with a large debt. It's no good just telling him that your debtor is a good and fair man. Your debtor is a very just man. And so just trust him and you'll be okay. Because merely believing that is not going to lift his burden. He needs to know the, the good news that his debt has been paid in full. And that his debtor has accepted that payment. Because it's rece on receiving that good news, on believing that, that will lift his burden. So then, when someone is asking, how can I be saved, and you, or you're trying to point someone, uh, you must go over the promises of the gospel with them. Show them, explain to them the good news of what God has done to pay their debts. And remember... The good news is that Christ has paid for their sins, that he was delivered up for our transgressions. So, someone cannot believe this good news until they realize their sin against him. So, make sure they understand this, that they have offended God. And he, but he was delivered up for all our transgressions. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, no matter what type of sinner they are. And that the good news they must understand is not that he only paid for parts of their sins. But he paid for all of them, past, present and future. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. You see, if you want people to believe this good news, then you must not point them to their believing. 
But tell them of the good news. Go over the promises of the gospel with them. Explain what Christ has done. Show them that they are guilty before God in and of themselves. And that they cannot save themselves. But but that Christ has paid it all. And if they'll simply trust in what he has done. And for anyone who's not done that, stop trying to look for some virtue in yourself. But realize the good news that Christ has paid it all. And also, another application to this truth that we are justified by his blood. I've seen this from time to time where someone in a church is going through a certain struggle against sin. And and listen, if if you are in sin, you should be convicted and that's good. But but what happens in this case I'm talking about now, which is not good, is the person then withdraws themselves from fellowship. Perhaps they don't come on a Sunday or they stop coming to other meetings. They could because they feel too condemned to come. But do you see what the what is happening there? Do you see what they've fallen into? The person is trusting in their repentance. They think so long as they can hold off doing whatever sin it is for a certain length of time, then they are okay. And so they are happy to come to church as long as they are performing well. But you see, that thinking is all wrong. Yes, you should be convicted when you sin, and yes, you should repent. But you are wrong when you think that your acceptance before God and other Christians is based upon your performance. Because listen, God does not justify us by our repentance. God does not accept you because of your repentance. If it was based on that, then we'd all be going to hell. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, that is the basis on which he can accept you. It is Christ shedding his blood on your behalf. That and that alone is the grounds of your acceptance before God. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, that makes sense, but but I would never do that. And maybe so, but... Let me ask you another question. Have you ever planned to go to something? Maybe it's uh, the church is doing evangelism or perhaps to another church meeting uh, or or somewhere. But you did not go because you felt too condemned to go. Have you ever had the opportunity to share the gospel with someone? But you did not take it. Because even though you were not holding on to sin at that particular time, you still felt too condemned to witness to them because you you think your performance was not up to scratch that day. Well, are you not doing the same thing, though? Let me ask you this, believer. Have you ever come before God in prayer? And even though you've already repented, you're not holding on to any unconfessed sin at that time, apart from unbelief, of course. But, but because you sinned earlier in the day, maybe a mother lost her temper with her children, and so you feel too condemned to pray. You see, this is the point. We are not justified. The grounds of our justification, the grounds of our acceptance before God from day to day, 
is not our performance on that particular day. But we are justified by his blood. And another thing, we are not justified by feeling. You're going to feel different from one day to the next. But justification is something that happens outside of oneself. It happens by the verdict of the judge. I mean, there are so many people who try to work up feelings so they can feel more justified or feel more accepted with God. They, maybe it's in singing or they try to work up a feeling of acceptance. But you see, the grounds of our justification is not on how we feel, but by his blood. So lastly, I ask you this, have you seen this? That the way a person gets right with God is by Christ shedding his blood for their sins. As the old hymn goes, what can wash away my sins? Nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this I see. For my cleansing, this my plea. Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Have you seen that? Or are you still trying to look for some virtue in yourself? Nothing can for sin of tone, naught of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is nothing else that can atone for your sins. There is no good thing you can do to pay for them. Only the blood of Jesus. When, when the Israelites of old, when they were told to, uh, before the Passover night to, to, to slay the lamb, and they were to p- paint the, the blood of the lamb on the lintel and on the doorposts of each house. When that death plague, the, the judgment of God, swept through Egypt tonight, God said, When I see the blood, I will pass over. Not when he saw how confident they were. Not when he saw how well they were doing. Well, you see, 2,000 years ago, when Christ hung upon the cross upon Calvary, when God saw the blood flowing from Emmanuel's veins, like Abraham, he rejoiced to see this day, and he was satisfied, he was glad. Have you seen what God has done, that salvation is all of Jesus Christ? Because let me tell you, this payment is for whosoever. For whoever will believe this good news, you included. From the moment, you will believe this today, if you want it. You see others and you you want what they have. You're not sure where you are if you would believe this today. This good news, this is where assurance comes from. God will count you righteous forever from the moment someone sees this. He he will never be angry with you again. He will remember your sins no more because they have all been accounted for by his son. And as Brother Tim said earlier, he even adopts you and brings you into his family, brings you up as his child. He will convict you, chasten you. But listen, there's a world of difference between having God as your judge who is about to throw you in hell 
than having God as your father, who is bringing you up as the son in whom he loves. Guilty, vile and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God, was he, full atonement can it be. Hallelujah, what a saviour. I'm going to close by reading this a couple of paragraphs from Charles Spurgeon. Um, This is just glorious. He says, let us publish it, the news that it is finished, that Christ has done everything needed for salvation. Children of God, you who by faith receive Christ as your all in all, Tell it every day of your lives that it is finished. Go and tell it to those who are torturing themselves, thinking through obedience and mortification to offer satisfaction. Yonder Hindu is about to throw himself down upon the spikes. Stop, poor man. Why would you bleed? For it is finished. The Mohammedan, the Muslim, is torturing himself torturing himself with fasting and with self-denials. Seize, seize, poor wretch, from all those pains, for it is finished. In all parts of the earth there are those who think that the misery of the body and the soul may be atonement for sin. Rush to the pains that... Rush to them. Stop them in their madness and say to them, Why do you do this? It is finished. All the pains that God asks, Christ has already suffered. All the satisfaction by way of agony in the flesh that the Lord demands, Christ has already endured. It is finished. And when you have done this, go next to the benighted boltaries of Rome. When you see the priests with their backs to the people, Offering every day the pretended sacrifice of the mass and lifted up on, on the host on high, a sacrifice, they say, an unbloody sacrifice for the quick and the dead. Cry to them, seize, false priest, <laughs> seize, for it is finished. Seize, false worshipper, seize to bow, for it is finished. God neither asks nor accepts any other sacrifice than that which Christ offered once for all upon the cross. Go next, he says, to the foolish among your own countrymen who call themselves Protestants, but who are really Papists after all, who think by their gifts and their gold, by their... prayers and their vows, by their church and their chapel attendance, by their baptisms and their confirmations, by by them they think, make themselves fit for God. And say to them, stop, it is finished. God needs not this of you. He has received enough. Why will you pin your rags to the fine linen of Christ's righteousness? Why will you add your counterfeit farthing to the costly ransom which Christ has paid into the treasure house of God? Seize from your pains, your works, your performances, for it is finished. Christ has done it all. To close by one illustration which I think is helpful. 
You know, I am not the best painter. Matchstick men is about all I can muster, and I struggle with those. But supposing I went to an art gallery and the Mona Lisa was right in front of me. And I looked around. There was no security guards there, so I I opened my uh, my box with my uh, my brushes and painting. And I think, and I tried to finish it. Well, the moment I put my brush on that masterpiece, I've defiled it. And it's the same way. By trying to add our, our works as merit for Christ to save us, the moment we, we add it, we've, we've defiled it. Can you see that Christ alone has done it all? That's where you're joyous. There's only self-righteous pharisaical joy in ourselves. You know, many of you have probably heard Charles's example of the scales where, you know, on Judgment Day, it's not, if people think of it as a scales, set of scales, our good works versus our bad works. But, it, you know, it's not, uh, but it's not our good deeds versus our bad deeds, as Charles says. It's, our, it's you on one side of the scales and Christ on the other. In order to be good enough to get to heaven, we have to measure up to him. Well, that's none of us. But the devil's lie is you've always got to add a little weight. You see, what you need is Christ to come to both sides of the scales. Him to come to your place and say, just get out of the way. I'm doing this all on my own. So make him alone your trust, your glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that there is therefore now no condemnation, not even one bit for those who are in Christ Jesus. We praise you for such a full and free gospel that you fully save us from start to finish. That Christ is all in all. I pray you would open eyes for people to see, to rest in this great truth today, to hear the news that the war is over and have the burden lifted to find assurance in you. Help us day by day to remind us of this truth. And help us, as Spurgeon said there, to publish it. To go and tell others of what Christ has done. This great and glorious truth. May this be a reality in our lives for a closer walk with you. We praise you. As such a loving Father who would send as your dear Son. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen.